TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's the Score North Twin Show. All right, welcome in to five questions. I'm Derek Wetmore. This is an extension of the Score North Twin Show. And our guest today, we're very lucky to have Twins General Manager Thad Levine. Thad, thanks for joining. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I hope everyone's safe out there. Yeah, and uh, staying sane as we stay home at Minnesota. Uh, I think that's a really important message to get out. Thad, rather than dive into baseball minutiae and talk about you know what the Minnesota Twins are doing to get ready for 2020 season, if and when it comes, I'd like to zoom out. And I know from prior conversations with you that someone in your career that's been really important to you is Dan O'Dowd. That works at MLB Network, obviously a big name in the game. Could you just give us an example of something that uh, O'Dowd challenged you with while you guys shared an office together and how that's maybe helped you in your career to this point? Yeah, so, you, you know, I think for everybody out there who has aspirations of working in baseball, I count myself blessed every single day that I wake up and then I've been able to make a career of that. And Dan was the one who really at its inception made my dream a reality. He gave me my first opportunity in, in Colorado. And I think a few of the things that I learned Dan, was that when you're trying to get into an industry that's as in demand as, as major league baseball is, don't be focused on the job responsibilities of your first job. Don't, don't be re- focused on the job title and certainly don't be focused on the pay. Cause and I assure you, it was not very robust at that time, <laughs> but rather be focused on the people you get a chance to work with. And that started with Dan. Dan was the type of guy who almost on a daily basis, threw you in a deeper end of the pool than you thought existed and saw if you could swim. So I would say that it was like a total immersion program working with Dan. In a very short period of time, I got an opportunity to get exposure to almost every facet of, of major league operations. I, I think a, a, a tutorial that would have taken much longer if you had gone a, a, a conventional path, but Dan didn't really believe in conventional paths. I think he tried to surround himself with people who he thought were uh, bright, who had initiative, and then he really, really challenged you past the point of where you thought you could achieve. And then all of a sudden you woke up one day and you were much further along in your career path than you'd ever thought. Um, I always likened him to Mr. Miyagi. I wasn't exactly <laughs> sure why I was waxing the floor or the car <laughs> or the fence, uh, but, but then all of a sudden it all came to fruition. So I, I guess to give you a few examples, when I started there, I was doing advanced scouting. And I didn't really have a background for that other than having played college baseball and watched a lot of baseball in my time. Uh, Pretty soon thereafter, I think Dan realized that I had an affinity for numbers, uh, statistics and finances. And so he had me support both he and Josh Burns. Josh Burns was the assistant general manager at the time and a lot of their contract negotiations. And just when I kind of felt like I had my feet underneath myself in terms of being able to offer a reasonable support to their negotiation endeavors, he just threw me in the fire and said, why don't you just start negotiating some of these? (laughs) And, you know, before I knew it, I was uh, not necessarily taking the lead, but I was participating in some really robust contracts that uh, the Colorado Rockies ultimately signed. So I I can't be more appreciative and thankful to Dan. Uh, He gifted me with something that at the time I didn't even realize he was doing, which was an accelerated development uh, and you know, not everyone necessarily uh, thrived in that environment, but it certainly was it was great for me. Uh, and for that, I'm, I'm forever in his debt. So you mentioned he kind of took some people under his wing, um, people who were bright and people who showed initiative. Um, and he also picked you 
So that was good that he was able to combine that. Well, you know, when I look back at my time in Colorado, which was certainly a seminal time for me, I learned so much from Dan and from others. But uh, a little snapshot of the time I was there, uh, Michael Hill was the, the farm director. He's now the president of baseball operations for Miami. Jerry DePoto was in the pro scouting department. He's the general manager of Seattle. John Daniels was an intern there. Uh, he's the GM of, of Texas. Matt Clentak was an intern there as well. He's the GM in Philadelphia. Billy Jeez. was in pro scouting, and he, he's now the GM of the Anaheim Angels. And as I mentioned, Josh Burns and, and Dan O'Dowd were there. I mean, we, we had a – and Scott Service was actually in our pro scouting department. He's now the manager of the Mariners as well. So wow. I, you know, in hindsight, I guess I didn't realize how blessed I was to be born into that group of people but just the opportunity to learn was, you know, so present for me early in my career. And I, I'm in such a debt to all of those guys for where I am today. I'll ask you, you maybe didn't think you were going to go this far back on this, but we'll rewind it even a little bit further. If I understand correctly, didn't you work for Coke uh, before in major Coca-Cola before you became uh, a front office member in major league baseball? Um, the basic question, question number two here on this episode, Thad, how does one spin a job working for Coca-Cola into pro baseball? Well, you know, I'll even rewind a little bit further. When I graduated from college, I got a chance to go work for the Reebok Shoe Company. Okay. And really, the in- endeavor coming out of college was I applied to all of the baseball teams, and I got formally rejected by four. No responses from any of the other ones, and I was ecstatic. <laughs> I thought I was I was almost there. I had almost made it. I, I, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but uh, Mr. Claude Brochu, who was the president of the Montreal Expo, sent me on his own letterhead a rejection. I come to find out later that maybe those were written by somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he had actually taken time out of his day to do that. So then I went to work for Reebok in part because I thought it was an entree in professional athletics. About five months into my tenure there, they farmed me out to one of their subsidiaries, which was Rockport Shoes, which their demographic were grown men who were laying in caskets, I think. So we tried to go a little bit further, uh, further as you from professional sports, as you mentioned, I then got an opportunity to work for Coca-Cola. Again, I thought it was going to be an entree into professional sports. Uh, in turn, I actually was working on Barks Root Beer, uh, learning, learning my trade kind of in, in marketing and data analysis. And I, so I went there, I went to work for Coca-Cola in between years of business school. They offered me an opportunity to come back on, on a full-time job uh, once I graduated. And my dad really is one of the driving forces behind my passion for baseball. I think genetically he passed that down to me uh, from his youth uh, and from one of his true passions in his life. And I remember uh, very distinctly the day that I told him that I had actually called Coca-Cola back, thanked them for their offer, and, and actually withdrew myself from consideration. And this was before I had an opportunity to work in baseball. The mindset was basically that if I had a safety net that was as robust as working for Coca-Cola, I would never truly pursue my dream. And I probably would blink my eyes and have worked there for 20, 25 years, the type of company where I think you you really settle in and, and you can help yourself and generations beyond you uh, financially. And I would never pursue my dream. So I knew I had to pull out the safety net if I was truly going to pursue working in Major League Baseball. I told him that one day, and it was the first time I think he had paused because it was like two trains running into each other. One was his diehard passion for baseball, and two was his notion that you're supposed to provide for your family and that if you get a chance to work for a company like Coca-Cola, you just don't miss on those opportunities. And so he and I had a long conversation. He supported me, and ultimately I got a chance to go work for the Colorado Rockies. And I I do think I was able to transfer a lot of what I learned at Reebok, Rockport, Coca-Cola, 
I, and from my two degrees uh, towards working in baseball, but there was nothing that replaced the crash course that I had once I started in the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Thad, I took a dig at you. I'll also pay you a compliment, sort of balance out the skills here. One of the things that I've always admired since you joined the Twins is your uh, intellectual humility, if if you'll accept that compliment, that bright guy and know a lot about baseball and the inner workings, but you haven't really seemed to stop asking, well, how does this work and could we do it a different way and, and all those kinds of things. With that as a backdrop, question number three is, what's something that you've firmly believed in your career in baseball that you've come to later change your mind about? Uh, it's a great question. I, you know, and I'll, I'll come back to Dan for a second here. Uh, at the outset of your question, you cited uh, some tenants that he really instilled in me. He, he, he said, and you know, I, I took him at face value all of, of the time. I felt like I was kind of the low man on the totem pole that one of his hiring strategies that he learned from John Hart, who he worked with and was a partner with for so long in those triumphant years in Cleveland was if in doubt, hire people that are far more intelligent than you are and give them direction to get the heck out of their way. And so <laughs> I, I guess I was blessed to be part of that for him in that team that he put together. And I think he's proud of us. His, family tree extends to so many successful people in the game today. But so too is that that's my approach here. You know, since we've been here, uh, Derek and I have had an opportunity to bring in some of what we hope to be the best and the brightest, not only in the game of baseball, but really in, in across a lot of industries and really provide them with, you know, seminal guidance, but, but also the ability to do their jobs and power them uh, to, and to delegate to them such that they really feel like they have true ownership of their position. So, I guess one thing I would share with the, with the fan base is that, you know, I think the Polad family and Dave St. Peter were pretty purposeful in hiring Derek and myself together. Uh, Derek uh, came from a background with Cleveland where they were one of the preeminent teams in terms of putting together infrastructures. And by that, I mean research and development, the scouting and player development uh, systems that lead to long-term success, especially for moderate payroll teams. Uh, I came from a little bit of a different background where we didn't have quite that uh, sense of emphasis on analytics and data systems, but more on scouting and player development. Uh, so I think Derek and I got a chance to meld some of those skills together. So I, I guess to answer your question, I spent 11 years in Texas, some of the best years of my career, where the lion's share of our decisions were governed by input from professional and amateur scouts. Uh, and I came here and I thought, you know, that was a pretty successful model for us. And I've come here and I've really been educated to the merits of including and infusing analytics into those decisions such that they're helped help to be informed. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think we did pretty well in Texas, I, I think if you look at uh, leaders of baseball operations groups, it's rare that they're extremely good in the free agent markets, the amateur draft markets and the trade markets, just for whatever reason. Sure. You don't find too many of us who are gifted across those three platforms in terms of talent acquisition. Those who are, are probably in the in the Hall of Fame, by and large. Those are the ones who are, are leading the charge towards multiple World Series. So one of the things that we did do pretty well in Texas or had a decent track record of was uh, was trades. And so, you know, coming here and kind of reimagining how you inform information that, that leads yourself leads yourself down the path of making confident and convicted trades, I think has been a huge education for me. And one at a point in my career where I was thirsting for an opportunity to grow and develop and learn. And I think working with Derek and working with the, the people who put together our systems here has been 100% that platform for me. Okay, fascinating. Yeah, I always love to hear what, how smart people change their mind because, you know, conviction can be 
helpful and sometimes dangerous. So well, uh, well, the other, really the cool. other thing I tell you is we've made so many mistakes and, and I personally made so many mistakes in my career. One of the things that we did when we uh, were in Texas, one of the first things which turned out to be a colossal mistake was we made a trade. The first mistake was we thought we were the proverbial one player away from winning. Uh, and we made what ended up being a disastrous trade with the San Diego Padres. Uh, we ended up getting Adam Eaton and Akinori Otsuka, Adam Eaton, the, the starting pitcher, not, not the outfielder. And we ended up trading away Chris Young, the right-handed pitcher, and Adrian Gonzalez, who clearly that, that trade did not favor us over the long run. I think the, the lesson I learned there was, uh, and ones that uh, I think we've tried to apply here and as recently as this offseason is this kind of notion of you don't go get the piece to put yourself in contention. You get the piece when you're clearly in contention and it hopefully puts you over the top. I think when you're scratching and clawing to make that deal that could get you into the 84 win range, you probably have uh, overshot the mark a little bit and you've expended assets that you could use later on. It's when your team is projected to win 88, 90 plus games that I think it's the time to expend some of those assets towards winning. And hopefully that's what we did this offseason. You know, I think as a fan myself at heart, I think we all hope we get to see that team play and realize uh, the potential it could have. But that certainly was a mistake I made early in my career, a lesson that was was hard learned because, uh, you know, that franchise really took a step backwards because of that move that we ultimately made. The blessing was that we had an owner who still supported us and really challenged us to ask us, what you learn from the decision you made. I think if we wasn't convinced that we had learned something, maybe our jobs would have been in jeopardy. But I think our response was at least uh, honest and revealing and vulnerable enough to him that he realized that we weren't going to make that mistake again and we'd be in a better position the next time around. Is that a real conversation? Is that a real question that happens, a back and forth between ownership group and uh, the leadership of a front office? You know, I think in, in that case, Tom Hicks is the own, was the owner of the Texas Rangers at the time. I uh, he realized, uh, John Daniels, the general manager, and I was the assistant GM, he recognized that we both were first time in those roles. Uh, and he was very specific about the questions he asked us. They weren't exhaustive. It was effectively, how will this help us win either today or tomorrow? And, you know, that was kind of the proverbial today or tomorrow. He wanted sure. to know how we were building for the now or the future. And if we were convicted in our presentation, he was extremely supportive. And then the other thing he asked us was kind of the postmortem. If things went well, what did we learn? How can we do it better next time? And if it didn't go well, what did we learn? And how could we do better the next time? That really was the, the the central points of conversation that I had with Mr. Hicks in my tenure there were conversations based around those very simple questions. Fascinating. Um, okay, question number five for you, Thad, and to the extent that you're comfortable sharing, I realize these are real human lives. I'm going to ask you about a trade that went down a decade ago. So maybe you're comfortable talking about it. Um, my friends at Score North are doing some revisionist history pieces, as you can imagine, without a lot of professional sports going on in the world right now. Uh, the creativity churns. And uh, so one of the big what ifs for the twins 10 years ago, Cliff Lee. And I believe, if memory serves, you would have been in Texas at the time the Rangers swung a deal, I think centered on Justin Smoke but you'd have to correct me. Um, Hotshot prospect, Justin Smoke, for Cliff Lee, an assassin on the mound. Can you share with me uh, and the listeners and viewers of the Score North Twin Show the sort of behind the scenes about how trades take tons of work and tons of voices and tons of hands to get them to come to a spot where ultimately you can make a decision to try to improve your team, either for today or for tomorrow. How how much light can you shed on that Cliff Lee trade process and like, I guess, how many Rangers employees made that happen? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think 
I think that was a coming of age moment for the Texas Rangers franchise for John Daniels as the general manager of the team. And then really the, his support staff of which I, I was proud to be part of that. You know, it's, it, it rewinds to our question. Uh, I, I bring it back to a presentation we made to Tom Hicks, probably circa 2007 when the team uh, was faltering a little bit and we presented to him the opportunity to take a step back before we were going to take steps forward. And we had exhaustively studied the, you know, one thing when you're not playing in the playoffs, you got a lot of time on your hands because there's not a whole lot of baseball transactions going on. And there's a lot of watching TV despondently as you see other uh, teams achieve what you aspire to achieve. (laughs) So one thing that John and I had applied ourselves to is we studied the heck out of the 20 years prior teams that made the playoffs, how'd they do it? And we kind of bucketed them into three different groups. One was the premium payroll teams. So, you know, if there are 10 teams playing in the, the playoffs, I think at that time, over the previous 20 years, 65% of the playoff first went to the top 10 highest payroll teams. So we kind of put that group off to the side. We didn't necessarily want to just walk into ownership and say, hey, the secret to success is we got to spend a lot of your money. The Here's the path. We're gonna win. <laughs> I think his response is, well, I can hire a chimp to do That's your right. job. And we didn't want to miss the chimp <laughs> take over what we were doing. The second group of teams that we weren't necessarily looking to emulate was a group that had kind of done it fleetingly. They they had spiked their payroll one year. They had uh, a fleeting path through the playoffs, and then they were never to be seen of again. The third group was the team that kind of had sustained success. And, and really, in our game, sustained success, we were defining as playoffs in kind of three out of a five-year window. And what we found in those, those teams, that there were some really uh, consistent steps they took. The last step of that that they did take was – all of those teams invested in a player when the time was right. And as we were talking about earlier in this conversation, it wasn't when the time was wrong. They didn't do it prematurely. They didn't do it after the fact. They did it at the right time. And so in 2007, we'd really paved the way for that decision in 2010 when we had presented this five-step plan to Mr. Hicks. Uh, Now, admittedly, we thought that was going to hit in 2011 or 12 based upon our farm system at the time. Uh, Good fortune uh, allowed for that team to really mature a little bit faster than we expected. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves at the trading deadline uh, at step five of a plan. And so Mr. Hicks was was very well supportive of that, the, the thought, the notion. I think we then really focused our time on getting, making sure we nailed the right who. And Cliff Lee, for that team at that time, which was a, a pretty advanced offensive club, a pretty dynamic offensive club, we had both power, speed, uh, and at the time, you know, a pretty solid defensive unit all across the board. We, we were lacking that top of the rotation presence. And so we were in a dogfight uh, for Cliff Lee's services. And it was made very clear to us uh, at the time uh, by Jack Zorenzik, who is the general manager of the Seattle Mariners, that uh, there was a high, he was a highly sought after player. Now, it clearly should have been. He was the best pitcher traded at the time. So I'll share this with you. I haven't told this story to too many people, but uh, we've got a room full of John Daniels kind of inner circle and it's comprised of uh, people who worked in our pro scouting department, pro scouts themselves, and then some front office folks and uh, our manager, Ron Washington. And it's, it's about 11 o'clock at night. And we made an offer to the Seattle Mariners that we thought was going to get the deal done. And they basically called our bluff, or I should say they, they, they postured back to us that if we didn't include Justin smoke at that time in the deal, we weren't getting the player. We thought we still had the best offer on the table. We stood pat. We got a call about an hour and a half later saying, uh, we're, gonna, we're going in a different direction. Uh, you guys do not get Cliff Lee. And the, the collective sigh in the room as we were all st- still sitting there at about 1 a.m. was 
monumental because I think we felt as if this was clearly the linchpin player to put us over the top. As, t as matters would happen, um, I don't know if they were overstating their position or not. Uh, John Daniels, being in a very aggressive negotiator himself, got back on the horn and effectively said, so if we put Justin Smoke in the deal, is, is Cliff Lee ours? And, uh, you know, about an hour and a half of arm wrestling later, uh, we had acquired Cliff Lee. Wow. And uh, we, were, we were ecstatic. He ended up coming over to us. I actually think he may have had a losing record for us down the stretch. But once we got into the playoffs, it was a game changer. He, yeah. uh, there was a mythology around him that he backed up 100% when he towed the rubber. And it just elevated our team to a level that uh, I'd never seen before. It was spectacular. And it was, and it was so much fun when we ended up beating Tampa Bay that year. We an extremely talented Tampa Bay team. And then what was so monumental for the Texas Rangers, I, I think maybe some fans here in Minnesota could relate to this, but the Rangers heretofore had been in the playoffs three times, 96, 98, and 99, had met the Yankees in each, each of those endeavors, had lost across the board, had won only one game. It was on the road. So the Texas Rangers fans had yet to see a home playoff win in the entirety of the franchise's history Wow, uh, being in Texas. So we ended up playing uh, New York uh, that year. In, in the ALCS and ended up beating them. Uh, the good news of that was just this euphoria in the market that I don't think we could relate to because we hadn't been there for the historical losses. Uh, the downside of it as in hindsight was, I think there was a sense that we accomplished all we needed to accomplish and that getting to the World Series at that point may have been just simply icing on the cake. We ended up uh, losing to a San Francisco team that quite frankly, uh, you know, was a team of destiny at the time, but. I would argue that the Tampa team we beat and the New York team we beat were every bit as good as San Francisco, maybe even better than them. Uh, but psychologically, I think we had felt we had already won by the time we got there. Uh, so there was still this great sense of enthusiasm in our market after that playoff run, despite mm -hmm. ultimately having lost the World Series. Well, you ran into the Giants in an even year. That was the yes. mistake there. The, uh, the Giants were one of the teams of that generation. Your Texas Rangers, that obviously one of those uh, teams of the generation as well. Um, do you have any final words for our audience as, as we're all staying at home, Minnesota, and we're all working our way through uh, imposed quarantines and the coronavirus in this country? Thad, I'll share the last word with you. You're kind enough to share your time with us today. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I, I just hope everyone stays safe and smart out there. You know, the one thing we're trying to tell, you know, whether it's our players, our coaches, our staff, or even quite frankly, my own children, you know, my feeling about life is that when when the sand starts slipping through the hourglass at the end of all of our lives, the one thing we wish we had was more time. Uh, this is not quite the, the wrapping we hoped it would be uh, in the form of a pandemic. But if you get through that wrapping paper, one thing that's inside is the silver lining is that we do have more time than any of us would have expected at this point of, of the uh, of the calendar year. And I just encourage everyone to embrace the heck out of it, whether that's learning a new skill, reading a, a new book, or forging a new relationship. Uh, don't miss the opportunity that this has been given to us uh, with regards to time. I mean, I'm, I'm embroiled in homeschooling with my wife right now. We have three uh, children in, in elementary and secondary school right now. And I'm quite confident there will be a lot of memories, hopefully a few good ones, <laughs> backside of this that we'll, we'll all look back fondly on as to how we've shaped our children's lives and touched and felt uh, their growth and development along the way. So, uh, enjoy enjoy the heck out of this time, and hopefully we'll be get back to Target Field very soon where we can all be cheering on the Minnesota Twins.
It's Mackie here, and during these uncertain times, your team at Federated Mutual Insurance Company has kept a strategic focus on policyholder service. They've been directing clients throughout the country to the information they need on written pandemic policies and procedures, recommended response plans, and communications to employees. If these resources could help your business, please contact your local Federated Marketing representative or visit federatedinsurance.com. As a mutual insurance company, Federated believes their value is measured by the success of their clients. Federated, it's their business to protect yours. Planning to buy a new boat this year? Glenn Perkins here for my friends at Nelson Marine. The Nelson Marine difference is about customer service and a knowledgeable team of sales and service pros. Two large showrooms filled with an impressive inventory of the best brands in the business. London Crestliner Fishing Boats, South Bay Pontoons powered by Yamaha, Suzuki, Mercury, and Evinrude. Nelson Marine has been creating happy customers for 75 years. Visit their showroom on Highway 61 in White Bear Lake online at nelsonmarine.biz. Did you know that 61% of pet owners feel more prepared to be a good pet parent after testing with Embark? Embark your dog with Embark's dog DNA test to get hundreds of actionable health insights. You can be proactive with their health and work with your vet on a personalized care plan. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today.